Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 54 called Maddie. On this week's episode, I'm partnering with Genev. Genev is an online clinic dedicated exclusively to women. Genev is all about women's health, and right now, as COVID-19 cases are filling up our medical facilities, Genev is expanding their offerings to include primary care as well. If you need to talk to a doctor about perimenopause or menopause, Genev is always there for you. But if you need to talk about prescriptions or other health concerns, Genev can help with that too. You can access their doctors through their telemedicine services for safe, convenient at-home consultations at Genev.com. That's G-E-N-N-E-V.com. Thank you, Genev. Okay, so Maddie Gutierrez is so awesome. She is a body-positive Manhattan mom. She's a fashion lover, beauty junkie. She's got a great Instagram. She's got like 50,000 Instagram followers and a really fun blog. She talks about being plus size in the world of fashion and style and beauty and life in general. One recent feature she has on her blog was the plus size guide to Disney, which I thought was just very cool and something that you just do not find anywhere. So I'm going to talk to Maddie today about all of that and being a disruptor in terms of fashion and beauty and style, but also we're going to talk about her secondary infertility journey, which she is in the midst of right now. So she's going to tell us how she had her son, who is now five and a half, with virtually no issues, but for the last handful of years, she and her husband have been having a lot of problems uh, with secondary infertility, so we're going to talk about all of that. And one really important thing that we're talking about that I haven't really talked about with anybody before is how Maddie's going to tell us how she's treated as a larger woman by doctors. It's a prejudice that she faces sometimes when she walks in and they immediately just say, well, obviously you need to lose weight. So it was very interesting, very eye-opening. I'm so happy that she was so candid about all of this stuff because I think it's a really important conversation to have. We also talk about COVID-19 and how that is affecting her cycle and her next steps. So super timely today. So thank you guys for listening. And without further ado... This is Maddie's infertility story. How are you guys dealing with all of this COVID-19 business? Um, dealing, managing, <laughs> not sure if those are the appropriate words to be using. Yes. <laughs> I, know, um, I know. We're fine. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. You know, I'm trying hard to not be super, it, there's, it's out of our control. So yes, that's a good way of thinking about it. I mean, it's hard, obviously like even the word hard in conjunction with staying at home is kind of silly. It's hard to stay home obviously, because our regular lives, you know, that's what we're accustomed to, but it's also not hard to stay home. So I'm trying to remind myself, like, it is a privilege to stay home. It is a privilege to stay home. Right. And yes. And then even the things like, at least we have a home and we have shelter. And so, yeah, I'll just say to kick it off. I, I don't know, we don't know each other very well, but I came across your Instagram and I can't even really remember how, but I, I just love it. I love what Thanks. you put out there. I love the 
positive vibes. You describe yourself as a body positive Manhattan mom, which I love so much. Mm-hmm. You're super into fashion. You're always, you know, trying on clothes and it's just, it's so fun to watch. And I just love your attitude. But also you say on your Instagram that you are going through secondary infertility. In the middle of it. So okay. I have a five and a half year old son yes. and we got pregnant with him super easy, no issues, totally fine. And now we've been trying for our second for almost four years. So Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I definitely want to get into all the details of that, but let's back it up a little bit and just tell me a little bit more about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did you meet your husband? Did you guys always know that you wanted to be parents? Sure. So I'm originally from Salt Lake City. Okay. And growing up, I always knew that I wanted to travel the world and do something different. I didn't want to be stuck in my hometown for forever. Not that there's anything wrong with Salt Lake. I love my home. But um, when I graduated high school, uh, I just decided to go for it and move to New York. Came out here as a nanny and I, this is this is where I belong. Uh-huh. I may not stay here forever. You know, I never say forever or never because you just don't know where life will take you. But New York is where I feel like my best self and at least in this stage in life. And so I moved out here at 18. I was, you know, young, stupid as we are (laughs) at that stage in our life. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was so much fun. It was so new. It was, you know, there's so much to do here and it's a it's the complete opposite of Salt Lake City. Right. And it was exactly what I needed as an 18-year-old young woman. Did you know anybody out here? Or did you just no. go by yourself? No, I didn't know Seoul. Wow. So how did you even know where to begin? Like what neighborhood did you know where to so, live? Or? Well, um, my first nanny job was actually a live-in nanny job. Oh, I, got okay. a, I went through an agency and gotcha. found a family to stay with. And that's how I kind of started. And then eventually I got my own apartment. And yeah. How was that nanny life? Oh, you know, there's pros and cons. I still am like one of my nanny families, the last family that I nannied for. She is now my best friend. Like our kids go to school together. They're best friends. Oh, that's great. Um, It's amazing. But then uh, I was also a nanny for a mom on the Upper East Side for a while. Mm -hmm. Won't go into the specifics, but everything you imagine that entails, it entails. (laughs) Okay, you tell me offline later. <laughs> the drama, the yeah. drama. We've all read the nanny diaries, right? And it was those. exactly that. So then how did you meet your now husband? Uh, we met the old-fashioned way in a bar. Okay. Um, it was 2010, just like the beginning stages of things like Tinder and OkCupid and all that stuff. And I had broken up with my previous boyfriend about six months before. And I was like, I'm not dating. I'm not going to go on a dating app yet. Like I was... I wasn't going to do it. And um, I went out with some girlfriends and it's, it sounds silly, but my husband walked outside out of this bar and I saw him and I was like, that man is important. I don't believe in love at first sight even now, but I saw him and I've had a few experiences like that with special people in my life, but I knew that he was important and that I needed to make sure that I knew him. And I've never like approached a man in my life except uh-huh. for my husband. And I was like, hi. Come hang out with my friends and I, please, please. So I totally hit on my husband. Um, What was it about him that made him feel seem important? I don't know. I again, there. I have two friends who the first time I met them, I just knew that they were going to change my life. And the same thing with my husband. It's just this feeling of 
I know not everybody believes in that, but like kindred spirits, like you just know, you don't know what their purpose is or how long they'll be in your life, but you just know that you're meant to meet some people or Mm -hmm. experience something kind of like that deja vu feeling that you, you're like, Oh my gosh, have I done this before? Mm -hmm. It's the same feeling. Like I just, I just knew with, I mean, I can say three people in particular in my life when I met them randomly, I just knew that I was supposed to meet them for whatever reason. So I love that. Um, so did he yeah. hang out with you and your friends? And then what happened? For a while, for a while mm-hmm. <laughs> before, before he's like, Hey, I got to go. And you know, like the next day he totally, uh, yeah, I'd given him my number. And after that we were inseparable for okay. forever now. And it's been 10 years this year. And so in the fall, we'll have been together for 10 years. Okay. Okay. So uh, then you, said you have your son who's five and a half. Yes. And you didn't have any problems getting pregnant with him or anything? No. So we moved to London for a little while for my husband's job. And I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 20. And my mm-hmm. doctor was like, FYI, you'll have a hard time getting pregnant. So, you know, good luck to you. Really? <laughs> 20 years old, I was like crushed. Um, did they, so did my, that really crush you? Or were you like, oh, I don't need to worry well, about I, that? I have always wanted to be a mom. I knew like being a mom is what my ultimate ultimate goal was. I, uh-huh. I just, I grew up in a large family. I've always loved kids and I wanted to have a family of my own. So being 20, obviously I would, didn't want to have kids then, but to be told like, good luck whenever you decide, <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, just rude. Some doctors really need to work on their bedside manner or their right? delivery of things. But did you know at the time what PCOS even was? Or had I you did. Heard of it so I had just gone in for an annual exam and my doctor ended up doing a couple extra tests and ultrasound. And she was like, I, you have PCOS. Like, it's very clear. I'm going to wait for your blood work to get back, but you have PCOS. And I was like, I, you know, I was 20. But it was my second annual exam. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything that was going on with my body. I, you know, when I started diving into fertility treatments, realized how uneducated I was about my body. And if I ever have a daughter, I will try my hardest to teach her everything because as a society, we do not talk about fertility periods, you know, right. our cycles nearly enough. Like I didn't know what cervical fluid was until I was 28 years old. 20, yeah. You know, like, how? <laughs> no, I know. And it's so funny, Maddie, because this honestly comes up so often in conversations that I have with other women mm-hmm. and it doesn't even really matter what generation. It's like even people who are like, well, how old are you right now? Are you in your twenties or I'm 32, 32. Okay. Um, so yeah, people in their twenties, people in their thirties, people in their forties, like me, even older are like, still don't know, you know, or looking back was like, wow, the education we got was like, don't get pregnant and you're going to get your period. And that was kind of the the extent of it. Like there's so. And I think just us becoming, again, I've now taught my husband so much. I've taught my sisters so many things. Like I think just openly discussing things. That's why you know, it's not easy to talk about your fertility journey on the internet to 50,000 people. Mm -hmm. It's a very intimate part of your life. And it is, you know, to some extent talking about your sex life, you know what I'm saying? Like it's very um, personal, but I think it is so important to talk about some of these specifics and the nitty gritty of it because it is educational. Like right. whether you have fertility problems or not, you should know when you're ovulating. Right. 
How did I get to 28 years old and, and just think that I could truly get pregnant any time of the month other than when I was on my period. That's yeah. how I spent the first, you know, 10 years of my sexually active life. That, that was me between like, you know, 16 and like 40. <laughs> right. Really like I was, and now, and now as somebody going through fertility treatments, I'm like, we've got two days. Right. Exactly. It's so small, such a small window. So wait, a couple of things you said there. First of all, sure. 50,000 followers on Instagram. How does that even happen? Just about, I'm just a little under 50,000. Yeah, um, but... I truly don't know. I, you know, there is no secret recipe to growing an audience or right. connecting with people online, but I feel like just really being honest mm-hmm. has made it so that I can really connect with my audience. I'd be okay if I never grew past the 50,000 because I have like genuine connections with the people mm-hmm. who choose to follow me. And I, it's really, it's bizarre sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when, again, when you're talking about more personal things or sharing your true feelings, but it is such a way that it, it helps so many people. I have have people message me and say, I found your account and cried right. because you look like me. Right. But you're not unhappy. You're not hiding. You wear cute clothes. You live your life. And I'm, I, I cried. And um, I feel that because that is why I started my own account was because as a plus size woman, we, for the longest time, I waited to live my life. I waited to do all the things. I waited to buy the nice clothes or the cute handbag because I was waiting to celebrate a weight loss accomplishment mm-hmm. or to get to a certain size or to have been on a diet for X, Y, Z amount of days, you right. know, and, um, having my son and going through fertility treatments has really opened up my eyes to the fact that not only can you not plan for the future, but you can't wait for the future to happen either. You know, I spent my first two years, um, trying to get pregnant with our second waiting you know, like not right. planning anything because you're just in this constant, well, I'm going to get pregnant next week and ne- right. next month. It's going to be next month. And eventually you realize two years of your family's life has gone by and you've done nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. When was the point where you realized, okay, I'm going to take matters into my own hands just with the account, first of all, and starting, you know, this whole, you've become such an influencer in so many different ways. And like I said, when I looked through your feed, I was like, you just glow, like you have this glow about you and it's very attractive and it's very accessible and authentic. The three... Um, I've been doing this for about two years now, just a little bit over two years is when I started my blog was January, 2018. And I honestly didn't start it to be of like a plus size fashion blog or Mm -hmm. even a body positive account at all. I was like, I'm going to be a mom blogger and (laughs) talk about parenting. And then I realized I needed an escape Mm -hmm. from my everyday life. I needed something other than motherhood and parenting uh, to talk about. And as a plus size woman, or I guess maybe just as women in general, um, when you are wearing something that's cute and accessible, people are like, Oh, where'd you get that? And in the plus size world there, I still feel like there's a very large gap in plus size fashion. It's either very, very pinup and sexy and, Oh, you know, like I'm going to celebrate my body in this almost sexualized way, which more power to you, or there's like grandma fashion and it's all covered up. 
super, super modest. And I'm a 32 year old woman with a hot husband and I wanted to wear cute clothes, but I'm also a mom. Mm -hmm. So, um, I knew once I decided to kind of make this way is that I, I just wanted to be a woman who wore cute clothes, but happened to also be plus size. Yeah. That's my, that's the last thing that goes into my fashion choices is I am, I want to be a stylish mother who lives in New York city. And I love the notion of like, not wanting to wait, not having to wait, just the right. time is now do it now with so many people, you know, such a big platform. Now, were you nervous to talk about infertility or was it something that just kind of was a natural next step? It's super nerve wracking, especially because it's not just my journey alone. It's my husband's and he's incredibly private and I need to uh, respect his boundaries. And Mm -hmm. also I'm very aware of how speaking about fertility, it's a very polarizing topic because you have people who have been through fertility treatments and are, you know, potentially on the other side with their you know, longed for baby. And then you have people who are not there yet. And whether I get to that point or not, I, you know, you kind of exclude people. So, um, if, you know, if, and when we get pregnant with our second, I know that that can very quickly push people away because it's hard to see. I have friends Mm-hmm. and good friends online who have gotten pregnant. And while I'm very happy for them, I'm still sad and it's still hard to follow along on their journey. Absolutely. And despite the fact that it's not, you know, it's not jealousy, it's not anger or resentment towards them, but it just reminds me how sad I am for myself. So yeah, I think a lot it's of people hard. relate it's to that. Yeah. And, and everyone's journey is different. And when you start talking about anything parenting related, whether you have the kid or not, everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a friend, Susan, who did this and that. And personally, like when, I don't know if you feel this way too, but like when you're in it, there are times when you want to hear other people's stories. And then there's times where you're like, I didn't ask to hear about your friend who got pregnant. That's not like, I was just talking about how I had a miscarriage. I don't want to hear about your friend, Susan, who got pregnant, right? Susan (laughs) from from taking X, Y, Z thing that I've been taking for the last four freaking years. Right. Yeah. I share a lot, but I also don't because I'm not a medical practitioner and every person is different. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So uh, (laughs) if you don't mind, can we talk about some of the details of what you've gone through? So you had your son and then how long before you guys started to try for the second one? So right before he turned two, we were like, oh, well, this is, it's back and forth. We didn't start actively trying until he was about 18 months, almost two, but we also weren't strongly preventing that whole time postpartum. Mm -hmm. I breastfed my son. So I was always just like, oh, you know, it's just... I'm breastfeeding. So that's why we haven't gotten pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, I was totally okay with Irish twins, but figured it wouldn't happen because I was breastfeeding (laughs) exclusively. Mm -hmm. And so when I stopped breastfeeding, I was like, okay, so I'm going to start tracking my cycle and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until about a year into it that you know, like the first six months are fun, exciting, hopeful. And then the second six months, you're like, what? Yeah. 
Are we a cursing podcast? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Fuck I yes. never know if I can be like explicit or not. Yes. Okay. So I was like, what the fuck? Like, seriously, <laughs> I got pregnant on my first try with the first one. And now we are, here we are, you know, six months into actively or actively trying and I haven't gotten pregnant. Right. Absolutely. Anyway. So after a year, I made an appointment to go see an RE because my sister she also had fertility issues, um, male factor infertility, but you know, she was always like, just go, just go. Right. But I ended up chickening out because I was fat and I was like, they're just going to tell me that I need to lose weight. That's all they're wow. going to say. So That's- I didn't go. And I was like, I'm not going to go. We're just going to keep tracking and you know, I'm going to eat healthy and blah, 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 blah. I'm going to take all the supplements. And I'm not going to go because they're just going to tell me I'm fat anyways. Really? Is it, so tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, let's unpack that. Cause that's really interesting. Like you it's think that's super, super common, um, yeah. in plus size men yeah. and women to avoid the doctor because the blanket statement for truly every illness is if you lost weight, yeah. if you lost weight, then if you lost weight, you wouldn't have gotten strep throat. Like I have asked my audience for the craziest doctor, if you lost weight stories, <laughs> and I shit you not. Oh. I had somebody send me an email and say, Hey, just wanted to like respond and sent me this lengthy post saying that she'd gone in for chronic headaches. And over and over again, her doctor was like, you just need to manage, you know, like your sugar intake, stop drinking caffeine, all this stuff and lose weight. You need to lose weight and it will Mm. make your headaches disappear. A year Mm. later, she went to like her third doctor and the doctor's like, oh my gosh, fine. We'll give you a CT scan. And she had a freaking brain tumor. Wow. (laughs) For a year, doctors just kept telling her to lose weight. I had... I have a member of my audience say, I went to the doctor and tested positive for strep throat. And the doctor said, if you weren't so overweight, you wouldn't have gotten strep throat. No. Yes. Like how fucking ridiculous is that? Yeah. That's just lazy lazy doctoring. (laughs) Lazy medicine. Medical care. And while, you know, no, I I sit here and talk about body positivity and um, health at every size is not promoting obesity or saying, hey, gain all the weight you want. It's demanding respect from the medical care industry, Yes, regardless of your size. Like that is what the health at every size movement is about. It's I should get to go into the doctor and have every test run that a thin person would. And sure, you can go ahead and throw in lose lose some weight, but still give me every single test yes. that you give a thin person because I deserve the same quality medical care that somebody uh, with a BMI of 20 does. Absolutely. Oh my God. I'm so glad you just said that. Thank you for saying that. It's, I think there's a lot of people out there that need to hear that. Yes. And again, I have my best friend is a ER doctor and he's like, do you really think that doctors are just saying that? Because or like, do you really think that they're just trying to be offensive? And I'm like, it's not about being fucking offensive. It's that they're being lazy. Like do totally. something else. Fine. Fine. I walk into every doctor's appointment. And the first thing I say is, listen, I know I'm fat. Okay. I've been fat for 32 years. It's not news. Let's wow. talk about something else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like doctors will sit there and be like, so have you ever thought about losing weight? Like Susan, I'm 32 and I'm fucking fat. I'm pretty sure I've thought about being on a diet since I was six. Okay. Right. right. Oh my Let's God. Let's not. Yeah. Let's not be condescending. Right. Totally. Um, and lo and behold, the first time I did go into an RE, guess what they said? Have you thought about losing weight? Like prior 
to any other questions. Right. Nothing about my family history, about my previous pregnancy. Oh, you know, how long have you been trying? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, if I finally went in at two years of trying. Wow. Okay. So you were, you didn't want to go to the doctor for this very reason that you just explained for two years. Is that true? Wow. Yes. That's amazing. So well, the, well, there's the first year that we tried and everyone says you need to wait your first year right, right. before you go to the doctor. And then, but then I canceled that time. appointment. I waited a whole other year. Wow. Finally went to see a doctor. And the first question they said is, have you thought about losing weight? What did you say? And I was like, well, of course I've thought about losing weight, but I just like, okay. So backing up a little bit as I finally had been told to lose weight for so long, I went to go talk to an endocrinologist specifically about weight loss surgery. And the doctor was like, listen, it's my job to prescribe weight loss surgery. Okay. But I'm telling you right now, it's really bad for your body. So if you plan to have more children, please do it prior to this. Mm. And she's like, and this is my job to do this. And I'm telling you, please don't, if you want to have other kids. Okay. Because it's too hard on your body to have gone through that. You know, yes, lots of people do it, but she's like, but please don't. Yeah. (laughs) Not safe. Right. So, you know, when the doctor, my would-be endocrinologist, RE, fertility doctor, said, have you thought about losing weight? I was like, that's why I'm here because I can keep waiting to have kids while I keep waiting to lose weight, Mm -hmm. but I'm just waiting for the nothing that will happen. Like nothing is going to change. I'm the same way I was when I gave birth before I, before I gave birth, I didn't gain any weight during my first pregnancy. Like I've been the same weight for the last seven years. Right. Okay. Just, it's not, it's not going to do anything. It's not a thing. Okay. And so, and they were like, okay, great. And they did the whole fucking in like inpatient thing, all of the questionnaires, all of the lab tests. And then I go home and they call me back and they're like, Hey, so just so you know, we're going to need you to lose 50 pounds before we'll do anything for you. What? I was like, what the fuck is that whole thing for then? Right. Couldn't you have just told me that as we sat at the table before I went and did all the blood work, the ultrasound, like, why the fuck did you put me through that? If you weren't even going to prescribe me like some metformin, right? right. Nothing. So needless to say, I waited another six months (laughs) before going to see another doctor. Right. And I know you're like laughing right now and we're kind of joking around a little bit about it. That must've been crushing, right? I mean, you must have- it is because I just and... feel like nothing you do is good enough. I mean, I can't tell you how many fucking rounds of Whole30 I've done. I've, you know, right. again, I'm 32 and overweight. If you think I haven't done a diet right. then you're smoking something, I wish I was because right. I've done it all. Yeah. And yeah, so it just, it felt like no matter what I did, I was, I was just going to be waiting for it all. So mm-hmm. after that first appointment with an RE, I actually ended up getting pregnant miraculously on our own. Okay. Um, and miscarried at seven weeks, got pregnant again and miscarried at nine weeks. Oh, back to back. (laughs) Miserable. And again, crushing, you know, I call my OB. Well, you probably miscarried because you're overweight. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Great. And oh, you know what? You're seven weeks. We don't even count that as a pregnancy anymore. It's just, it's just a chemical. Don't even worry about it. They said that? Yes. Harsh. 
at right. Like I was like, Oh, I've been trying for three years now to get pregnant. Yes. And you're telling me that I finally got pregnant, but it, it's not even good enough to count as a miscarriage. Yeah. It was, wow. it was horrible. And yeah, I remember one of, um, sorry to interrupt, but I had, fine. I don't know if you listen to my episode at all, but I had four miscarriages and, um, I remember one of them I called and I was like, I was, I'm bleeding. And, and the woman on the other line, it wasn't the doctor, but it was somebody. It's always the, the nurses. She was just like, oh, you're probably miscarrying. Just, you know, call us back tomorrow if you're still bleeding. And I was like, um, that's okay, it? but that's how you're going to say it. Like it was so insensitive. Right. Right. And you know, they sure. Again, like I said, they need to work on their delivery. It's, they don't know you. They, they hear this all the time, but right. for you, the person going through it, it is, soul crushing. And, uh, it's just, again, I've never been as devastated as I was that first, second, third miscarriage, you know, it's Mm -hmm. horrible. So, so you ended up having three back to back kind of. Yeah. So now, um, sorry. This third miscarriage, I just miscarried in February. Oh shit. This uh, is new. I know. Uh, so I, I found a new fertility doctor and I really like them. The clinic is very like progressive. It seems they have, you know, they do a lot of mini IVF. So low hormone things are trying to mm-hmm. scientifically help you as naturally as possible. What a <laughs> oxymoron, but mm-hmm. you know, they are, that's kind of their MO, but we've right. been doing some highly medicated IUIs and, okay. you know, because my husband is totally fine. Like his sperm is great. Mm-hmm. Obviously that makes him feel so fucking good about himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, uh, we shouldn't need an IUI, but here we are doing it anyways. Mm-hmm. And after a few rounds, I got pregnant and I miscarried. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you go in and have the chat about okay, what are your next steps? Are you going to go for IVF? Or, you know, like I'm fully preparing myself to say, we're going to do IVF. My husband's insurance now is required to cover three rounds of IVF. Anyways, so I'm fully prepared to like, okay, we're just going to go for IVF because now again, we're approaching four years in June. Mm-hmm. So my kid is going to be six. Um, you know, our life looks so different than I had ever thought it was going to look. Yeah. Yeah. My kids uh-huh. are six years, six and a half years apart. So I know okay. that feeling. Yeah. I'm sure they're amazing, right? Like it's always wonderful, but it's yes, just but I know what you mean. It wasn't the plan, right? Right. So I go and talk to my doctor, and he's like, "Okay, hey, well, I'm just gonna let you know that I really don't think you should do IVF because it's probably just a waste since you're um, overweight." Wow. And I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like I've been here now for how many months? Six months or something like that at this clinic, and now you're telling me you don't." actually support my fertility journey. Oof. Really? Yeah. And he's like, we can totally discuss it, but I think you're just better off having a few more IUIs. And so what is the specifics? Like, did they think that your body's not going to react well to the drugs or like, what is the difference with the weight thing? Like it's because they don't want to, um, and and this is the thing, like they don't want to put you under general anesthesia because of quote unquote, increased risks with being overweight and general anesthesia. Generally, those are when you have secondary problems like diabetes, respiratory issues, Uh which I have none of. Like I have the lowest blood blood pressure on the face of the planet always. 
great uh-huh. cholesterol. I'm, you know, have a, an amazing insulin. What is that? A1C level, uh-huh. whatever. I don't have any signs of, if you looked at my blood work, you'd think I was a skinny bitch. That's pretty much what it says. <laughs> So it's mo- it's just the anesthesia thing then. It's so like the for anesthesia. the retrieval. So, you know, he, and after I was like, well, I really, you know, I'm feeling very stuck. I really want to move forward with that. Like, I don't want to have another miscarriage and waiting for, you know, I did a, I didn't do a DNC, but I did do, I don't know. So I took some drug at home and then did a home collection kit so that we could test my most recent miscarriage for chromosomal abnormalities. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a call with my doctor tomorrow to discuss that. So Okay. So you haven't gotten those results. DVD. Anyways, he's like, we we can do the retrieval awake. Like you can do the retrieval awake, which I know lots of people do. It's not as common as being put under, but he's like, we'll Uh just give you like a Xanax or whatever it is. And You'll be fine. You'll okay. be fine. It's uncomfortable. But he's just like, you got pregnant. You have a perfectly healthy kid. Okay. And the tolls that IVF can take on your body, whether you're fat or thin, it's a lot on a, on a body. And I totally get that. So because we got pregnant the one time, he's like, I don't want to put your body under any unnecessary stress, especially because you have existing risks with your weight mm-hmm. or your, what does he say? Well, I don't know, something about my BMI. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, great. Sounds good. He's really nice. And he does like his delivery is definitely not condescending or anything like that. So I feel like a lot of doctors, they have responsibilities. They have things they're required to say. So I think maybe some of it is just, yeah, he's required to say these things like, listen, we have to tell you that you're at an increased risk because of your high BMI. Right. But anyways, that was all prior to the drama that has kicked off now. So everything is paused. So everything's on hold. So yes, let's talk about that too, because obviously we're in the middle of coronavirus. madness. You know, a lot of people's cycles have been postponed or canceled. So So that's where you guys are at right now too, like just kind of wait and see. Right. So I had had an appointment to go in last week and you're in New York, right? I am. I live in Williamsburg. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like we're, we've tried to be a little bit ahead of things and yet some people are totally behind, but my clinic called and they said, Hey, we know you're just coming in for a routine monitoring appointment and to talk about like your monthly plan. We're just letting you know that most likely we're going to pause or cancel all cycles. So yeah. Probably don't come in if you don't want to. When like, did they say that? Last week. Okay. And my son was already home from school for forever. Right. <laughs> Never to go back. Is he in kindergarten back. or first? He's in kindergarten. Okay. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And I mean, I feel so, so bad for all of the women who are mid cycle or we're waiting on a fresh transfer or, you know, mm-hmm. like, that don't get to continue because all elective procedures have been put on hold. I know it's It's crushing, crushing to again, have put your body through so much and your heart. Like this is so emotionally draining every single month to go through the same roller coaster of emotions, not to mention financially, you know, a lot of people are paying out of pocket and so much. They just wasted, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a cycle that was canceled mid cycle. Mm -hmm. 
So it's just, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, I I always say that going through fertility treatments is the definition of insanity because you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? (laughs) You're getting the same result every time. So it's really driving you. Yeah. And it's so out of your control. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. you know, there's only so much you can do. Right. And it's just such a waiting game on, you know, is your, I, I think my last cycle, that I went in and I was just doing IUI, but I ended up going in because I was like, my follicles just weren't growing. So they just kept giving me drugs. And I went in six times in an eight day period because I, they were just, they're just waiting. Like I can't imagine yeah. the amount of um, daily pressure it is to do an IVF cycle yeah. with, you know, how much monitoring and almost the it's great to have information, but you almost get so much information that it's overloading in your brain. Absolutely. That's a perfect way to describe it too. It's like too much sometimes mm-hmm. and you're just like, ah, short, short circuit. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So just to clarify, you, you, ha- you never actually did do like traditional IVF, right? It was just- we haven't done that yet. That's okay. going to be- How many, how many IVFs? Four. Okay. So okay. we've done four. We did two medicated timed intercourse cycles. And mm-hmm. and then we did four IUIs, the last of which I got pregnant um, and miscarried. So again, we'll see if it's due yeah. what, if anything was the cause. And, you know, right. my doctor was like, honestly, I hope that it was just not a healthy, like as if everything comes back normal, that's your best case scenario, because that means you know, if it was chromosomal, we would push for something like IVF because Mm -hmm. things are a little bit easier to control there. But I don't know. I don't know what I'm hoping for, honest to God, because again, it's just, I I don't know. (laughs) No, I, I totally know what you're saying. And I think that sometimes, like, I remember when I was in the middle of it too, it was like, I just wanted someone to tell me what to do at certain Mm -hmm. points. (laughs) Cause I was like, how long it was going to take. Right. You know, like, can you just tell me how many right. rounds of this I'm going to have to go through? Yeah. Like if how you old know, my kid will be, how exactly. old will I be? Exactly. If you have some sort of answer, you can at least kind of mentally prepare or like wrap your head around it. Isn't that how we feel about coronavirus? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so let me Driving ask you. Going crazy. Right. How are you and your husband doing through all this? Like, are you guys, has it affected your relationship and you don't have to get into personal stuff that you No, totally. I think the second year was really hard because again, the first year you're still hopeful. And then the second year you're just crushed. And it feels that second year for our marriage was really hard because it totally feels like a chore. Um, We weren't seeing a doctor, so it still just felt like again, uh, running around a circle over and over and over again. Yeah. It's actually gotten a lot better. I feel like because, uh, we are kind of putting our future in somebody else's hands. So Mm -hmm. it's not quite as much pressure on us, you know, it's whatever, but then, I mean, as less pressure as it can be, you just feel like somebody else is telling you when is the time, you know, they're in charge of it. And, for the most part, they're going to be the ones who make it happen. So it gives you a little sense of relief, or at least it has for me. And miscarrying is really hard, I think, on a marriage because as the woman, you do feel, you feel more (laughs) because it was your body. And, you know, uh, after you've miscarried the one time, 
I, I don't know how I'll make it to 40 weeks if I ever get pregnant again, because every single time you go to pee, it's like, okay, am I going to be bleeding? Yeah. You know, every single cramp or twitch, it's like, is this the end? Mm-hmm. And the anxiety and stress that you tell yourself not to feel right. is truly like all consuming. Right. And I think it's hard on our spouses to not be able to truly support us because they can't, like nobody can make you not feel those feelings or exactly. take the weight off of feeling like you were responsible for that. Right. And cause it's a legit fear. Like the thing you said about going to the bathroom, not wanting to mm-hmm. see blood. We've, I've talked about that a bunch of times too. Cause that, that's how I felt. I remember being like, please no blood, please no blood. Yep. And Every it, single time you pee. Sometimes I still get that. Like when I wipe and there's no blood, I have this relief and then I'm like, yeah. wait, I'm not even in that anymore, but it's like PTSD. Right. Yep. Totally. Yeah. It's just, you know, nobody can feel what you're feeling and I, I, everyone handles these things differently, mm-hmm. but it is really hard when quite a few of your friends may possibly be going through, you know, I have quite a few friends also that are going through fertility treatments. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you were the one to get pregnant and then you never actually told them yet because it was early and, oh my God, that's going to hurt people's feelings. And mm-hmm. how is that? But then you're like, I need my friend because I'm fucking falling apart. Yes. And hey, by the way, it's because I was pregnant. Sorry to hurt your feelings. I got pregnant, but now I'm not anymore. Like, how do you tell people that? Uh, yes, exactly. How do you tell somebody that, you know, or my friends who aren't in the fertility arena and right. who are just getting pregnant easily yeah. or, yeah. or just feel like they end up feeling left out. Like, Oh my God, why didn't you tell me that you went through that? And you're like, because I never told you that I was pregnant to begin with. So how would you even, you know, like you can't feel the sadness that I feel because you never got to feel the joy for me even. Mm-hmm. It's just, Oh, Hey, the, you know, the world was pulled out from under me. Yeah. It's really hard to support people. <laughs> and I, I, I've gone through it and I still struggle yeah. like, knowing truly how to support people because everybody needs differently. Right. And everybody's got, yeah, everybody has a different way to be comforted or talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Is there anything else that you've learned so far along the way that you could share or like words? Don't be like me. <laughs> Don't wait to go to the doctor. I wish that I had found a supportive doctor at that year mark, instead of waiting for the three year mark to find Mm -hmm. somebody who was going to help me. That was a huge mistake. And if you, you know, like if you have any hesitation at all, or you think you're having problems, just fucking lie and say you've been trying for 12 months, like just go. Right. Because I, I don't really know. Yeah. If anybody has been trying for six months, you might need a little, you know, like sperm wash just to help things. Absolutely. <laughs> it's to be proactive than not. Yes. And regardless, again, this is how I felt post all of my miscarriages because I've been told that my fertility struggles revolve around my weight as I've felt truly responsible for mm. all of them. Like, I miscarried because I was fat. If oh. I wasn't fat, I wouldn't have miscarried. And you, you carry all of this guilt over yeah. your body. And again, I know that thin women feel that responsibility too. If you, I'm sure you felt like you did something, there was some jog you went on yes. or, you know, like, what did I do to cause this? But when you feel at fault for your existence, like 
just your being is the reason you miscarried. It's really, really hard. And um, I think having a supportive doctor who can really remove that shame from all of your appointments will help a lot because like I am a living test. I was, I have a beautiful five and a half year old. I had zero pregnancy. Like he was 41 plus five and six pounds, you know, like Mm -hmm. textbook pregnancy that everybody was waiting for me to fail. Everybody was waiting for, I, it was miserable the whole time because every single doctor I saw would be like, so you have gestational diabetes? And I'm like, no. Oh my gosh. So you, how's your, how's your blood pressure? And I'm like, well, I'm about to pass out. It's so low. <laughs> yes. <You> know, like, <laughs> I'm, I may be fat, but that doesn't mean that my, my pregnancy is going to fail or that, you know, like you're at fault for your fertility issues. There's Absolutely. so many other working cogs and you deserve to have a doctor and a clinic who supports you. So yeah, I guess I'm on the fence myself about what do I do going forward, but right. I guess so much will be determined when right. we when make the world that move goes to IVF, back. right? Yeah, when the world goes back to normal, right? Isn't or it whatever normal is anymore? I don't even know, but it's so hard to feel like every month is and it is such a huge deal. I mean, I know I'm young for the fertility world, but I feel like four years later. I'm an old maid (laughs) and each month that goes by, you know, my husband gets a month older. I get a month older and my son does. And to know that I'm not going to be making any progress for the next three or four months is disappointing to say the least. So I can't imagine how some other people must be feeling right now. Yeah. Oh, I wish we were in person. I wish I could give you a big hug. I'm, oh, I love your message and I love your attitude. And I'm sorry that you're going through this, but I would love to keep in touch and let me know you guys. And I'm rooting so hard for you. And fingers crossed for us all out there, right? Absolutely. It's the most um, depressing club to be a part of, but also it is one of the most uplifting, too. Like, people. I have to send you my sweatshirt that says Worst Club Best Members. Yes. Oh my God. I've never even heard that slogan before, but now I need it. Yes. I will send you one. (laughs) That's my little tagline for this whole infertility journey. It is. It's the worst club with the best members. So It is so true. I love that so much. Thank you guys so much for listening to my conversation with Maddie. Maddie, I adore you and I'm so glad we met. And like I said, I'm completely rooting for you guys for whatever happens next. I hope it's amazing. So thanks again. I also wanted to say people have been asking if I'm going to keep doing the podcast through what's going on in the world right now with everything being upside down. And the answer is emphatically yes this community that we've built I appreciate and adore you all and love you all so I don't want the content to stop I want these stories to keep coming out I know this is like one consistent thing that I've gotten some messages from people that are like please keep it coming it's like my source of comfort so I really appreciate that and I'm glad that I can do that for you guys so it's not gonna stop and I will talk to you guys next week thanks